helping you to be the best version of you. This is the Team Forces Podcast. Here's your host, Heleth Kendrick. Welcome to the Team Forces Podcast. In this episode, we speak to Polly Marsh. Polly is a CEO of the Ulysses Trust, which exists to support Army cadets. Polly is also a successful entrepreneur, and we hear about her time on Dragon's Den and how she turned down £100,000 from Deborah Meaden. We hear about how she supports young cadets into the Ulysses Trust and the amazing work that they do and how it supports Team Forces. We hear about the tragic loss of her husband only a year ago and also her fight with cancer. Polly is an amazing inspiration to all of those who will listen to this podcast. So please have your tissues at the ready because this really is quite a remarkable story. Polly, welcome to the Team Forces podcast. It's great to have you on today. Tell us how things began. Where did it all begin? Morning, Heather. Thank you. Um, The role at the Ulysses Trust, that began a couple of years ago where the founder, a great man called Phil Neem, started to hassle me about um, could I come on board as a grant um, application committee member. So assessing grants that cadet units and reserve units were sending in for various challenging activities and adventures that they were planning. So I said yes eventually. I was very busy. I still am. But um, I did say yes. And then suddenly I found myself uh, not only on the grant application committee, but leading it. And then the next thing I was a trustee, uh, operations trustee. And the next thing I am the CEO. (laughs) That's amazing. And you were in the army, is that right? Yes, I was a long time ago. Um, I first found out about the army, um, which sounds daft, but I I was uh, at university before I even realised the army was really a thing. Um, But it was absolutely life changing for me and I loved it. I went into the reserves. I then went into the regulars. I did leave. I had a huge sabbatical for about 25 years and um, and then I was asked to come back into the reserves to do a specific role at Sandhurst. And after that, um, I'm still in. Um, so I am still officially uh, a reserve, probably the oldest captain in the army. And I'm also a Cadet Force Adult Volunteer Officer. Um, so I've been to Sandhurst many times. As a young woman, you joined the army. What was the reason um, for joining the army? The short answer is I found my tribe. I know that that's probably a bit of a cliche. Um, However, um, it wasn't a group of people that I was aware of before. I had had no background in the military, none of my family, nobody I knew's family were in the military. Um, So it was a revelation for me to go from feeling quite as an individual, you know, different from everybody else, if you like. But then I joined this officer training corps at university and immediately was surrounded by like-minded people, um, people with ambition, people who wanted to do good for the world, people who wanted to do good, do well for themselves um, and challenge themselves and have adventures. That was really, um, really exciting and eye-opening and unique and new. Would it be fair to say that you felt slightly isolated and you felt that this kind of, as you said, finding your tribe was something that, well, you know, way back when you were a young woman um, was a huge stepping stone for you in your your career? Absolutely. As growing up, I didn't know anybody involved in the military. I didn't even know the military really existed. I I didn't quite know what I thought, but I know 
that I felt different to other people because, um, you know, I grew up in an environment where we had no money for a start. And so things like going skiing, for example, uh, were inspirational to me. You know, um, when you grow up without money, you want to do all these things. You want money, you know, you want to be rich, but you want to be rich so that you can do all these things that you think are out of your reach. And I grew up believing that all these things that I wanted would be out of my reach, except through education, maybe. I thought the only escape, if you like, um, out of poverty was education. So I went all the way. You know, I went through a school that particular probably didn't have anybody else in my year group go to university and I don't mean that in any way to say that I was better or anything it was just not done it wasn't a thing that people did you know most people left school at 16 and went to work in the local factory and it was totally accepted everybody's families lived around the corner from each other Um, and that was fine nobody actually went anywhere else or further afield or did anything different. I suppose I felt very strongly that I wanted to get away and do other things. And education was the only route I knew. When you're talking to the cadet forces now, I suppose to inspire them, you've had that story and you know that kind of feeling of maybe isolation, they're not sure where to go. And so there's a few stories, I mean, incredible transformation in in young people that you're working with. But before we we go into that, I mean, I think it's important to understand a little bit more around you and and your motivations, because I think you didn't just leave the army and go and do just you you did some quite incredible things. And, um, you you know, you started your own business, you're an entrepreneur, you're a successful entrepreneur. How did that begin and and where did that start? Whilst I I was in the army, um, I met my future husband. In those days, it was quite difficult to stay in the military and hold a relationship together, especially when it was transatlantic. He was in the States. So I made a decision, hardest decision. Well, it wasn't a hard decision. It was just a very sad decision. I had to leave the military. And I went into, I went and lived in New York. We had a few years in New York, which was fantastic. We came back. We settled back in London, working in London. And then when we decided to start a family, Um, and move out of London, it was obvious to me that I needed to do something that fitted in around the family. And a lot of women will find this. If they are ambitious, if they have got um, qualifications, if, you know, they are really capable people. Um, And when you give up your career to have a family, which is, you know, sort of what I'm talking about, there isn't much out there that suits your skills um, so we just started something. So my friend Helen and I, we had our first babies roughly about the same time, as did quite a number of my friends. And at aged just under one, um, we realised that all these uh, people bathing their babies were struggling, you know. And we invented a product called the Cuddle Dry Baby Bath Towel. And it became quite a hit. Um, and sort of revolutionised bath time, I suppose, for parents all over the country. Um, And it took off and uh, we were delighted. So we ran that for a long time. So from your military bathroom way back when, you did actually end up on Dragon's Den, didn't you? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it was quite funny. Um, So Dragon's Den phoned us, and I know that's not the normal way round. 
But I do remember the phone call even now. And this chap phoned me in my office because I was still working. And he said, you know, we've heard about this product. We think it's really good. We think we should come on Dragon's Den. So, of course, we said yes. Um, It is a risk because you've all seen Dragon's Den, I'm sure. But, you know, it's a calculated risk. And um, we thought it was worthwhile because the main aim of much of this is to get on the telly. Um, And we went through the whole process of uh, the interview stage and then we went down to Pinewood Studios and sat in the green room with a whole bunch of other nervous looking people and um, went into the den, met the dragons with their piles of cash. It's quite intimidating, but of course it's telly and they need you to uh, feel like that. And um, of course, Uh, there's a big X on the floor and you have to stand on the X. And then um, we were in there for three hours. We only got 11 minutes on the actual telly, which is a lot of time for the television show. But um, we were in there for three hours. I was answering a lot of maths questions for a long time without my notes. You're not allowed your notes. I did rewatch it, actually, because I do remember watching it about 15 years ago, bizarrely. I didn't know you then. And I watched it with complete in, in awe, really. Um, because you did get grilled and that I think <laughs> and when I watched it back oh my gosh they were really tough on you now you were offered a hundred thousand pounds by Deborah Reedon and you refused it there were three offers actually on the day I don't know I can't remember what they what they showed on the telly we did turn them all down and I suppose the reason was when there's two of you, when you're working as a team, you make a decision beforehand and we stuck to it. We trusted each other. We'd made this. We're going to go to this line and no further. And the dragons wanted to go over that line. So um, I remember going to the back of the studio because they want you to go and you know discuss. So we did that. And uh, if you listen really carefully, there might be a couple of expletives, which <laughs> I won't repeat. But um, it was... It was really, really exciting. And we left the studio really having got what we wanted. We knew that we'd done a really good presentation. We'd answered all the questions apart from the one, which, of course, they need you to fail at one question because otherwise it doesn't make good telly. Um, We left owning our company still. Um, and so the, the outcome for us was the best that we, we could have hoped for. You refused the dragon and you walked out of the den with nothing enter the the music Um, and then you went on to build a hugely successful business we did go on to develop a business we we grew it organically um as parents i suppose Uh, one of the interesting things sorry just to go back one of the interesting things that peter jones said in the den was you know this is a lifestyle business i don't invest in lifestyle businesses and at the time helen and i were quite indignant about that we're like of course it's a proper business you know we we are we're very you know astute business women and we're going to make this work i was eight months pregnant at the time and i had my second child and you know helen had two we were still in the middle of all that so of course it was a lifestyle business And at the time, we thought that was a negative. But as we went on, we realised what an enormous positive that is, not just for ourselves, but for everybody who worked for us, you know. Um, So as a lifestyle business, we did put our family first. We went to all the sports days. We went took the kids to the dentist. We did all of the things that you do as a mum with a growing family. But we also had this really successful small business that was growing and everybody loved it. And so it was really a unique situation. We didn't work 12 hours a day on the business. We refused to. We absolutely made our decision 
that the kids came first, the family came first, and our friendship came first. It's risky going into business with a, a good friend. Um, if there are disagreements, um, I'm sure there are lots of examples of businesses that have failed with people falling out. So our priorities and our values were in a quite a different place to, I suppose, an ordinary entrepreneur who just wants their business to make pots of money and then sell it for millions, which, you know, would have been lovely. But actually, the most important thing was our family and our friendship. But it was successful, you know, and um, and it, it was a brilliant little product. It still is a brilliant little product. Um, and uh, we grew it and it went on to be winner of the best new baby gift about nine years on the trot. Amazing. Now you've sold the business. But interestingly, what I'd like to talk about is the kind of um, teamwork element that you'd have learned maybe from the army um, with, you know, these things that you learned back in officer training. Would you say that you there were skills that you learned um, to help you develop a business? I would say the values and the standards and the skills, the leadership teamwork skills that you learn in the military are good for anybody in all walks of life. You know, whether that is starting a business, whether that is working for somebody else, whether that's just being a young person going out into the world for the first time, those skills, values and standards that you learn in the military will do you the world of good. And I believe that from the bottom of my heart. Um, I think that I randomly learned them through totally different means as a child I think my parents instilled in me um, a sense of self-discipline, respect, integrity, loyalty, selflessness, all the things that, that are required as a member of armed forces and life generally, they instilled in me. I think that those have held me in good stead. And I think they are the reason why when I did join the military, I suddenly felt like I had met a whole bunch of people who I can really get along with. And the USC's Trust is supported by Team Forces. Can you talk around the process of a cadet, how they become a cadet, what, you know, what attracts them to the Ulysses Trust? So the Ulysses Trust supports not just cadets, but all reserve forces as well to take part in adventurous training and expeditions. And we do that because it is the best way of developing a, somebody's um, confidence, resilience, makes them into a, a really good person, pushes you outside of your comfort zone. And those are really important things, especially for young people. So joining the cadets, obviously there are three services and they all have cadet forces. Um, and it is free to join young people who are, let's say, don't have as much money as others, um, don't have to pay anything. Um, they don't have to pay to join. They have to pay to to go on the adventures and the training that they put on. And they really develop young people and give them all those values that I've just talked about. It's so beneficial to them. You know, there is masses of research out there now that prove that not only do they become better people, better characters, stronger, more courageous, more resilient, and all the things we want our young people to be, but they do better at school. You know, they, um, they, they achieve higher grades, they attain more from where they start point was. Um, it's just overwhelming, really. There are no negatives to it. Um, and I would suggest to people that if you think it's something to do with the military, the only bit 
that is to do with the military is the fact that they do some military training, which is a good thing. Um, and they wear a military uniform, which is all provided for free. So, you know, essentially, it's just the same as Cubs, Scouts, Guides. It is a youth uniformed organisation that does nothing but great things for young people. Now that uh, you're also Deputy DL, aren't you? So talk yeah. around that and, and how that influenced your, your role as uh, CEO of the Ulysses Trust. The Lord Lieutenancy actually wasn't something that I really knew very much about, um, ashamed to say, having been in the military for a number of years. But the Lord Lieutenancy sort of represents the monarchy throughout the country and, again, does loads of amazing stuff and highlights volunteers and all of the brilliant charities that work in all of our communities as well as hosting, you know, VIPs, and that includes the royal family, when they come and visit these things. So that's what they do. And, and uh, I a, la- a letter landed on my doorstep one day, um, having one of the uh, Lord Lieutenants had seen me speak at something. And, um, and I got an invitation to become a Deputy Lord Lieutenant, which was an incredible honour and a privilege and I thoroughly enjoy it because I get to go round and speak to local communities and people who are doing really good stuff in and around the county of Somerset. And in particular, I am very involved with the cadet forces. So I look after what are called the Lord Lieutenant's Cadets and the Lord Lieutenant's Cadets are selected by their peers as somebody that they respect and admire and who upholds the values and represents the best as possible, uh, what it means to be in the cadet forces. Um, And so these young people are quite incredible, the ones that I work with. Um, They're all incredible, but we're talking specifically about Lord Lieutenant's cadets. And they get uh, a nice badge, they get to wear a fancy uniform, they get to go meet the royal family or do amazing things um, for a year. So they're in post for a year, so they switch over every year. Um, And and, uh, really, it's just about rewarding them for really making such a big effort with what they're doing within the cadet forces. Give me an example of one of the youngsters that you've worked with recently. So there's a number of youth that we've worked with recently. Obviously, I've worked personally with the Lord Lieutenant's cadets, but with the Ulysses Trust, obviously we support and have supported over the years 30,000 young people to go on expeditions and things um, and given, you know, three million pounds and all sorts of um, exciting opportunities that these young people have. But we do try to focus on those cadets who would otherwise not be able to take up the opportunity for whatever reasons, usually financial, but it could be for a whole manner of reasons. You know, social anxiety is a big thing at the moment in the in the young people, especially secondary age pupils. Um, so as an example, we had a cadet speak at, at an event Um, a couple of months ago and his unit commander said to me that before he went on this expedition he'd gone to South Africa for three weeks which is quite a big one Um, he was so anxious about things he barely spoke very very rarely spoke um, but did everything you know carried on um, wanted to take part but just was too scared of big social situations and he was lucky enough to get a place on this expedition And he was brave enough to take on that challenge and he went. And when he came back, um, during the time he was away, he started talking and um, just became the confidence that it gave him. You know, going somewhere new, totally different culture, 
never been somewhere like that before. I don't think he'd even been out of the country before. And the difference in that young boy, young man, when he came back meant that he could come to London. It makes me quite emotional. Um, He could come to London and stand in front of a group of 60 VIPs, including lords and ladies, because they were invited, and gave us uh, an account of his experience. And it was just amazing. They are life-changing, these expeditions. And girls as well. There is a girl that you work with who is a kayaker, is that right? Tell me about her. Yeah, so there is a young girl in Somerset. She comes from a family of six siblings. She lives on socially provided housing. Um, Her parents have split up. Um, She and her brothers, she's the only girl, um, all joined cadet forces. Um, Her dad is a veteran of the armed forces and is also a cadet force adult volunteer. So she just is amazing. She is so strong. She has gone through school, achieved so much um, through her education and, and all of it is confidence that she's gained through being a member of the cadet forces. She has become the highest ranking that you can get in the cadet forces. So there's a master cadet, there's the RSM, which is regimental sergeant major of the cadet force. And she will go on to, to achieve great things, this girl. She just comes from such humble background and um, has. it's amazing what you can achieve with the right support. And I would just encourage anybody who lacks confidence to join a cadet force because you will be surrounded by people who will give you nothing but support and encouragement, especially if you don't necessarily get that from home because there's an awful lot of young people who don't get the support and encouragement that they deserve from their own home lives and they get it from organisations like the cadet forces instead. So I would just say that those sorts of things are amazing and what young people can achieve is amazing. If you were a parent of a, a teenager and you could be listening to this or, in fact, you are young, you're a young teenager and you're listening to this podcast, how would you join the Cadet Forces? easy way to do that is go online. If you go on to search whichever army cadet, oh, there's army cadets, there's sea cadets, there's RAF cadets, there's marine cadets, um, just Google that and you will be taken to a homepage and I guarantee you there'll be a big button on there that says join now <laughs> or apply or something like that. That will be the simplest way. Of course, you'll see units in and around your um, community and just go in, knock on the door if you're that brave, but otherwise online if you're not so brave. Um, but I promise you it will change your life. And you are changing lives and a lot of, a lot of this podcast is around adversity um, and the challenges that individuals have faced in order to, and, and overcome in order to get where they are today. And I think you are quite an, a remarkable person as an individual anyway, Polly. You've also had personally a lot of challenges, um, particularly health challenges. It goes back to those core values that um, you're taught, hopefully, as a young person, but otherwise that are taught certainly within the military about courage, discipline, respect, integrity, loyalty, selflessness, all and all of the experiences like adventurous, challenging uh, activities. They make you more confident. They make you more resilient. They they build in you a sense of strength, you know. And, and uh, like you say, a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with a very rare cancer, 
extremely rare. Um, so rare that I know that there will never be a cure because the uh, the odds of somebody wanting to cure something where only one person a year gets it pretty low. And you can go one of two ways, I suppose, with that. You go with, well, this is all doom and gloom, but actually you can't do that. It, otherwise, what's the point in getting up every day? So I'm very good at ignoring it. I have got an amazing team of uh, a surgeon and an oncologist. Um, I'm scanned all the time. And I have great hope for the future that every time I get a scan and a result that, you know, it'll be more of the same. You know, it's got a little bit bigger, but off you go and maybe chop some out. And I'd much rather have a, a bit of surgery than than uh, chemotherapy. But there's all different options. And, and, you know, having done a degree in molecular biology and genetics, I understand how cancer works. Whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'm not quite sure. But it gives me a little bit of understanding about what they're talking about and I ask questions and I would encourage anybody who is in a situation like mine to ask questions you know take somebody with you to results and get them to take notes because the amount of people I speak to who just don't know enough about what's going on in their own bodies and it makes them so anxious I would say find out as much as you possibly can but don't necessarily Google it because all sorts comes up. But take people with you to the results, take notes, ask questions and keep going. Because um, actually they're curing an awful lot more than they ever could before. And they're discovering new therapies all the time. For me, with three teenage girls, I definitely put them first. And I know we talked about putting family first, but but it, it's almost something that I, I don't allow myself to really think about it because because I've got three girls and I, they come first and I just carry on doing what's best for them and not worrying about what's going on in myself. It's out of my control. There's no point. So um, control the controllables, Helleth. <laughs> and do you mind me asking what type of cancer you have? So it's something called uracal cancer and your 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 uracal cord is a, a sort of like an extension of your umbilical cord but it goes from your bladder to your belly button inside you and it develops whilst you're in utero and by the time you're born in most people that has gone and uh, much like when you cut an umbilical cord off that just disintegrates and disappears uh, the same thing should happen with the little bit inside you but in my case and in some people's cases it doesn't and in some people's cases it goes bad so it is just super rare and it is what it is <laughs> it's ongoing and that you're maintaining healthy lifestyle that sort of thing and, and keeping yeah in touch with... I mean I still I run I, I just it's been chopped out there are secondaries in my lungs the secondaries will continue to appear and they'll grow and they hopefully can continue to be chopped out every so often so I've scanned every four to six months and a decision is made what to do really um, and I've had two operations one on my left side one on my right side and I suspect that that will be the course of my life for the rest of my life. Going back to your values and also the inspiring people that you work with in the Ulysses Trust and the Cadet Forces, that's something to really keep your focus on as well. And you've got three daughters, three teenage daughters, and, I mean, that's quite a busy household for you. You know, you've 
you've been through some pretty tough times in the last year as well. And, and I think keeping, you know, really tight to your values is something that I suppose many would inspire many people. Yeah, we have had a very tough time. Um, my husband passed away unexpectedly a year ago now, um, just before last Christmas. So that was pretty rubbish for everybody. Still is rubbish. And we miss him. But life does go on. And I do have three teenage girls who need me more than ever. And we get on with it. You know, Um, the girls have been amazing. You know, Maddie and Sarah both had their A-levels and GCSEs this year. So shortly after their dad passed away. And the fact that they managed to not only sit those exams, but do well, I, I'm just so proud of them. But yeah, we're we're a we're a tight knit bunch of girls, and um, we can get through anything. And I would say again that the values that I learn, I do desperately hang on to them. Um, they've served me well for the last forty odd years, so I suspect that they will continue to do that. And I just think that it gives you the confidence to go forward. Being self-aware, I think, is really important. I think it is something that young people, no young person knows really who they are until they're well into their 20s, I would suggest. But starting early with learning about values and and then really looking at yourself and understanding your strengths and your weaknesses is critical. I think if you know your weakness or weaknesses – though that then you can do something about that and quite often it is through pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in order to gain more experience in those areas of your life that make you nervous or you're worried about because you will succeed in those things and then you can push your boundaries a little bit more you see and eventually if you do that every single day and live and breathe your personal values you will become this really strong person who other people respect because you are true to your values and true to yourself. And having respect and being trusted by others is literally the most important thing that you could ever have in life. It's so much more valuable than money or what you've got. Being trusted is the most dear to me. And Polly, thank you so much for talking about that. And I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast today, their hearts will go out to you. I think one of the resounding things that I'm hearing here is is the, uh, and everybody talks about resilience and adaptability, but actually, funnily enough, when when we, I interviewed Sam Cox on on a previous podcast, he talked about resilience training and he said that they off he was offered resilience training and he uh, you know having all this sort of commando training thought well, why would I need resilience training but actually there's elements that you can garner and, and learn from but he he described it as dropping the peanut <laughs> you know if there's a problem you drop it but I think you've learned coping mechanisms that many people can learn and I think at positive psychology and and looking at the things he said controlling the controllables some people, when they're in, in a kind of down and out, sort of, oh, it's really hard on me, this is really tough. What would you say to that person who is feeling that life is really not fair on them? I've got several notes on my wall in front of me in my really scruffy office. Um, and there's one up here. And to answer your question, it says there's three points. Number one, understand that suffering is part of life 
and adversity is common. Number two, tune in to the good. Focus on what you have and not what you haven't. And number three, ask yourself, is this situation, this person, is this helping me or harming me? And then make a decision based on those three things. I would say that that goes across lots of life. And yeah, strong, supportive relationships are really important. I have fantastic friends. They're all mostly from the officer training corps, I will admit. But, you know, these are lifelong friendships that I've had for more than 30 years. And, and of course, you do meet people outside of those circumstances, uh, outside of the officer training corps. There are lots of other friends as well. But, but the people who are like-minded, like yourself, hang on to those people that you love and trust and respect because they are really important and they will give you strength through whatever it is that you might have to go through now and in the future. And personally, I found most of those people in the military of one form or another. But I wouldn't say that that goes for everybody. That's just because those are my values and my uh, personal, my, my, what my experience has been. But I can't knock it. And I would suggest that it's great for anybody who isn't involved. It would be worth having a look. The Ulysses Trust has come to me. I'm in my early 50s. I would say I feel very lucky that it has, it's almost like the perfect storm. You know, I've had my business experience, my charity or volunteering experiences with youth development over the years. And I've had um, my little bit of military experience um, off and on throughout my life. And those three things have really combined at this sort of part stage of my life to give me an amazing, exactly what I think is needed to run this particular charity. And I'm very passionate about it. And I'm very grateful to all of the supporters that currently support us including Team Forces, who um, this podcast um, is, is for. But there are others, you know, um, I'll name a couple. Nuffield Trust, obviously, is a big one for us. Um, but there are lots and lots of you, too many to name. Um, but thank you so much because you are making life-changing experiences happen for young people whose worlds will be so much better because of these experiences that you enable us to provide for them. Um, and yeah, if I, if you haven't heard of the Ulysses Trust, please do look it up um, and see what we do. There are other cadet charities which are all as brilliant, um, but we f- focus on the challenge and adventure side of things, which is where my passion lies and where I believe these young people will gain so much from experiencing being outside in nature it benefits every aspect of their lives there is a huge um, challenge at the moment with society and anxiety a lot of young children particularly after covid you know you know locked up in their own homes and unable to socialize and losing out and missing out on critical parts of their development really as as, teenage brains young brains but also that outdoors piece, people are so on their screens. You look at teenagers now and they'll be sitting next to each other, but they'll be texting. <laughs> and you and I had this conversation about our teenagers. And, and I, I remember looking at my daughter going, she's actually on her phone, sitting next to her best friend on her phone. 
and messaging each other. I think it's good for people to understand that just because I believe in all these amazing things and that I want my children to go outside on adventures and live in the natural world and all that stuff doesn't mean it actually happens all the time. I am a realist, you know. I have got teenage girls. They are on their phones. There's a lot of hair and makeup products in our house. You know, it, it isn't... I, um, I'd love to be able to tell you that my children are the uh, prime example of what the young people I'm talking about. But they're lovely girls. They have got good values and um, they are strong. Um, so I'm very proud of them. Um, one of them hated going on D of E. She said, came back saying she'll never do it again. <laughs> I would say that getting outside in nature, being part of the natural world, understanding our place in it, really respecting our place in it as well is critical and I know that that is talked about a lot on the telly and 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 in society and I know that there is a push hopefully it'll get stronger and faster to encourage people to understand the our place within the natural world um, but it is so important and there's so much research now that proves that getting outside in nature, challenging yourselves to achieve great things that you never thought possible and realising that you can achieve them and then move on onto bigger and better things. It's a snowballing amount of research. You'll see it all over the place. And, and what the benefits to mental health and well-being um, are, are just astonishing. You know, if you've got a child who who is, uh, you know, on their phones all the time, they're not going to thank you for it initially. But I promise you, they'll learn a lesson. You know, I remember my eldest went through a real phase of anxiety, as many girls do in years nine and ten. And she was being bullied on her phone. And um, I was in tears in the headmaster's office, not you know knowing what to do. Absolutely terrified of taking her phone off her. Um, we came up with a plan. It did involve taking her phone off her. And I tell you what, within five days, I had my daughter back. It was quite remarkable and I'm not saying that it that the phone is to blame for everything of course it's not but as parents I would say we just do need to be aware that these outdoor activities are really important. Both of us were saying we were laughing before we went online about the fact that the amount of makeup um, our teenagers have and <laughs> you were saying you were slathering something on your lip. Hopeless, I am. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have a gorgeous forehead. <laughs> I don't really know what the point of that is, but there we are. <laughs> it's one thing saying it's great for you. This, you know, the outdoor life is so important. And you and I have both lived. I, I, I didn't join the armed forces, obviously, but I, I've lived at a very much outdoorsy as a, as a young child. Um, but seeing this, you know, not having screens when you're growing up, and and seeing your children go through that. As you said, your daughter did DV, and how do you get the children? How do you inspire them to to get off their phones and to get out and do something? What would you? What would be? Oh my kind of- If I knew the answer <laughs> to that question, Helen, I'd be a multimillionaire. <laughs> Lead by example. You know, I think that if you just live what you talk about, you know, live it, show them, even if they appear not to take any notice whatsoever. Um, I think that if you lead by example, show them what you're doing, um, they will. It will go in. It does go in. It might not 
actually inspire them to do the same for many years to come. I was that kid that got dragged up the mountain by my dad on a, you know, let's go for a walk. Oh, we're going to the top of Snowdon, you know, and it takes all day. Oh, dad, not again. You know, I was that child. And yet here I am having had that love of the natural world instilled in me from at a very young age. And it didn't really come out again, probably until after I'd left home. So keep going, parents, I say. Keep inspiring them by showing them and um, leading by example. Tell me a bit about the sort of collaboration element, because I think there's, as you know, many, many military charities. And I suppose coming at it from a commercial perspective, what you will see was a lot of inefficiencies, potentially, How do you see collaboration? So I've been the CEO for a whole six months now. And the first couple of months was definitely talking to everybody involved in the trust, whether they were involved personally. We have 50 odd volunteers, you know, working with the trust. Um, So people within the trust and also people without outside of the trust. So our our donors what do they want from us? What is the trust doing well and what is it not doing so well? Where can we improve mainly? That's what you want to know. You know, things that you're doing well, great, but, you know, you can't make any changes there. Things that you're not doing so well, you can make a difference. So you need to find out what you're doing that you could do better. And that comes from the people who you're supporting. And those are either the beneficiaries, i.e. the cadets themselves or the reservists themselves, or the veterans that are going on these expeditions, and also the people that are supporting us. So all of the big companies and the other big charities that are giving us money to distribute among all these organisations that are taking their cadets away, what do they want in return? Because I want you to keep giving me money. So <laughs> I need you. I need to know that you're happy with what we're doing. And so as a result of that, two things have come out of it, really. One is well, three things. One is strengthening the team. So I'm in the process of of, um, adding some great team members to our already brilliant team. Um, The other is our impact reporting, you know, showing what we're doing to everybody. So so the outside world can actually see the beneficial impact that the trust is having on their young people, on their units and on society as a whole, really. Um, So that impact report will, will, there'll be a first, first new one next year. Um, and giving the customer what they want. I mean, that is a retail thing. That's, you know, my background, if you like, one of them. Um, but giving the customer what they want, and that's what we're doing now for the for the charity sector. Um, and then lastly, it became obvious to me that there's all these charities that are all doing amazing, brilliant individual things, but everybody's sort of got their own little empire, if you like, and they're not necessarily all talking to each other. Um, I am a big believer in collaboration. I I just think that that if we all work together, we are going to achieve a great deal more than lots of individual charities all doing their own thing. Um, Obviously, we're all doing slightly different things because otherwise, you know, we'd all be overlapping. We're not overlapping, we're collaborating. And so that's a big thing for me at the moment is talking to lots of other organisations, organisations that might actually be running these expeditions it's not just the mod that run expeditions where cadets are uh, participants there are lots 
So let's all talk together and see how we can continue to support cadets who are taking on these challenges um, and also um, organisations within the charitable sector. You know, um, we, we know lots of charities, you and I, Heleth, um, who are all, all working within the military. There's lots of overlap there where we can all be supporting each other in our own individual areas. Um, and we're not in competition with each other. We are supporting each other. So that's that's a sector of where I'm sort of spending my energy as a as CEO, trying to, to expand our network so that we can benefit as many people as humanly possible. Um, and that includes other charities. People say collaboration is important, but it requires a lot of communication. Collaboration element is not going to be easy. How do you think that you can overcome that? Because with the, with the cuts in the, in the MOD um, with cadet forces, there, there needs to be collaboration amongst these charities because goodwill does have a shelf life and charity money isn't thousands, millions and millions of pounds there. But I mean, how are you going to make it work? This is all quite new, you know, in terms of the business plan going forward. But I'm talking to other youth organisations at the moment. Um, I can't really say all their names because we haven't come up with, the, you know, a, a confirmed plan. But talking to them initially they some people haven't even heard of the Ulysses Trust so I need to make sure that they're aware of what we do and also make sure that they we come up with a plan of how we can support each other and um, as I say it's not a competition it is just about um, ensuring that we are all doing the best that we can for those young people and those reserves and those veterans who would otherwise be unable to take part in these life-changing activities. Any which way to do that is fine by me, as long as it's within our charitable remits, it would be within theirs if they're another charity, it could be that they're an organisation. or um, So it, everybody will have their own goals, but they will be able to collaborate together it was just about talking and I've only just started so I see it as an enormous potential area um, that will benefit everybody mutually. What has team forces actually done to support sort of collaboration within the Ulysses Trust? Team forces are a, a brilliant a brilliant organisation that support all of the armed forces to undertake uh, great challenging activities um, and we get money from team forces who give us money for the cadet element so um, as a as a charity I believe the Ulysses Trust is the only charity supporting cadets specifically to do adventurous training and challenging activities and expeditions and so as part of team forces as a whole we we fill a nice gap for them whereby they can give us money where if they've got people sponsoring them and they want to sponsor cadets, then that money will come to us because we distribute that money um, to the, the, you know, where there is the most impact and the most return on that investment for those donors. Um, and, and if they want to support cadets, that then it comes through us. So, so it's a really nice collaborative relationship that we have got with team forces in terms of the way that we work and the and the money that we are able to provide to for us the young people and obviously team forces can give it to all sorts of different people the other thing that team forces does extremely well is relationships between all of these different organizations so you know there's all these different companies all working within the same sector or maybe different sectors but but you know at the moment the largely defense industry and and um, for the military 
And we're, so we've all got common goals. We all want to support military people. And being able to network at these events that Team Forces will put on, which is fantastic, really, because it means I get to meet loads of different companies um, and therefore lots more cadets will benefit if anything comes out of that relationship that we make. Again, it's all early days, but it's quite an exciting area. You're at the uh, the conference uh, in the summer, DSEI conference. Thousands of people attend this conference every year, don't they? Yeah, there's a little funny story about that. So I'd never heard of DSEI, um, but uh, BAE Systems is one of our generous sponsors. And they invited me to what I thought was a cocktail reception, you know, and they were in Excel. I thought, okay. I will go down to Excel and I will go to their nice uh, invitation. Thank you. Anyway, I got it off at the train station at Excel and the platform is full of police. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is a bit strange. And then I try and get into D- to Excel and, you know, there's all this security and I'm thinking, uh, I've got a cocktail party and I'm showing them my invitation to the cocktail party <laughs> and they're saying, uh, no, no. Um, you have to go and queue up and go through security and you should have registered weeks ago and da, 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 and all this stuff I didn't know about. And I suddenly realised I'm at the largest arms fair in the world and uh, there's a quite a lot of security. So off I go to um, the other end of Excel in a rush because, you know, the, the cocktail party is starting and I'm a little bit concerned that I'm not going to get in time. I go through security at one end and then eventually I get through to a desk where they're print they're, they're tapping in um, my details into a system so that I can have a security pass. So I'm stood there at the desk, give them my mod 90, which is a, a you know reserve ID for the army. And uh, they say, tick, tack, tack, tapping away, what's your job title? And I said, CEO, because I'm there as the Ulysses Trust CEO. And uh, the chap next to, <laughs> next to the girl says, really? He said, I said, yeah, this, I'm the chief executive. And he said, Wow, well done. He says. I'm thinking, I'm not quite sure how to respond to that. But anyway, I don't respond. I just let it go. And uh, anyway, I get given my badge and off I go into this enormous conference and um, trade show, really, in Excel. And I go around all the stands. I go to the B, uh, BAE Systems. I have the cocktail party. I listen to you speaking very brilliantly. Well done, Helleth. And, um, and then... I go on to two other cocktail parties afterwards in the same building, you know, and I know lots of people from my old army days. And eventually one of my, a good friend of mine looked at my badge and he burst out laughing. Um, he's a general now. And he said, have you seen your badge? I said, no. So look at my badge. And it does say CEO. And then underneath it says the British Army. So I'd just been walking around DSEI <laughs> with this great badge on that said I was the CEO of the British Army, which is very important. And I was very pleased. I've still got that badge. <laughs> but yeah, no wonder everybody was so interested in what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, it's very, very good. I'm very impressed. <laughs> badge is now hanging on a, on a hook just outside my bathroom so it's quite entertaining every time I go in. <laughs> I just want to wish you all the best with your incredible work with the Ulysses Trust and the Cadet Forces. I think they're, they're very lucky to have you sort of looking out for them and making sure that you're, you're sort of flying the flag for them really as well. Thank you so much for coming on the Team Forces podcast today Polly. Thanks Helen. 
That was the Team Forces podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please use your podcast app to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you.